In the previous lecture, I decided to jump into something of a controversial topic, which is uh, Sola Scriptura in modern politics. Now, the lecture itself ended up being a lot longer than I would have liked, but I, I covered topics that were fairly difficult, fairly uh, dense, and the lecture ended up lasting about two hours. So not only this, but by the time I, I came to the end, there was so much information that it was somewhat difficult to follow exactly what, what my final conclusions were and what the point of the video was. So I decided to do another video um, would rather rather than just repeating everything to do sort of an introduction to the to the previous video. So in this video, I'm going to kind of summarize everything I've talked about and then point to different times within the previous video where people can go to get the more detailed information or the more detailed explanation of what I was talking about. Now again, <clears throat> for for those who you know might be new to my channel or for those that have been following my channel but um, might not be familiar with uh, other things that I've kind of done over the years. I want to give a quick introduction or a quick explanation and then move on. So first of all, <clears throat> for those who have been following this channel, what I've tried to do here is to, to build a foundation of a different way of approaching Christian theology, which is which I've been calling the Sola Scriptura approach. And what I've wanted to do is to build up this approach sequentially. So basically to lay down the foundation and to address the next level of topics and then move on to the next and eventually come to, to topics like the one I'm doing now, which has, which has to do with politics. But because um, of some issues that I'm, I'm dealing with within my, my own church community, I sort of felt the need to skip ahead and jump into this topic, even though I haven't really developed it properly. And for those that might, want to see the, the flow of thought coming all the way from the Sola Scriptura Foundations to where I'm at now, they might choose to skip over this video and, and give me a chance to, to better develop things and then come back to it later, who knows, several dozen episodes down, down the line. But if you do decide to follow along with this in the previous video, then uh, just know that there's a lot of stuff I'm saying that hasn't been properly introduced and properly explained. <clears throat> uh, and unfortunately, I just felt I needed to do this uh, because of, again, some of the issues that have come up uh, with, with some of the, the people from my church. So um, for those that might not be familiar with my channel, but uh, are coming across this video first, um, I've developed this channel and it's called, uh, basically it revolves around the, the phrase Sola Scriptura Zoom Church. So there's a website, solascripturazoomchurch.com. Uh, there's a YouTube channel with that name. There's a podcast with that name. There's a document that I've based everything on. Uh, it's about a 60-page document that explains the rationale for what I'm doing. And that can be downloaded at bit.ly-solascriptura-manifesto, one word. Um, just put those into your browser and, and you'll get a download link. And what I've explained is that this is a unique approach because other approaches to Sola Scriptura that have have existed throughout Christian history uh, <clears throat> have met with mostly mostly with failure in the sense that either people redefine sola scriptura to mean something other than Bible only, or they've never quite provided a, a methodology. And this is not what I'm saying. I've, I've shown in the manuscript that there's uh, a wide agreement among Christian theologians that the sola scriptura um, 
approach didn't actually work the, the way people initially thought it would work. So I'm not, I'm not coming with this on, on my own. It's fairly widely accepted from, among Christians from many different perspectives. And what I've done, however, is to say, even though the source scripture approach has not worked so far, there is a way to do it. There is a logical way how to do source scripture theology. And I explain all that in my manifesto or in the first eight videos or first podcasts of this series. Okay, so coming back now to the issue of source scripture and politics. Uh, what I've tried to explain in the previous video, and I'm gonna maybe make it a little more clear here, is that today we're in the middle of an information war. And what I mean by this is that you have the normal parties that we've had for a long, long time, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats. And then we have media sources that kind of push the, the party agenda, you know, whether it's, you know, all the different news channels, <clears throat> some of them are liberal, some of them are conservative. But what we're dealing with today is that this difference between the stories told by the, the two sources are so wide <clears throat> that essentially people are existing within a completely different reality. And I've kind of been exposed to this this past year because um, last year I was working in a very, in a completely different state. I had a very different ideology. And the interaction I had with, with people in one state versus the interactions I had with people in a different state were, were just hard for me to believe. I mean, it just, I couldn't believe that I'm in the same country and yet people view everything. It's not just this item and that item where they disagree. It's like their entire view of life, their entire view of reality is completely different. Uh, they view everything, everything that, that happens, they interpret through a completely different lens. So, um, I have a little graphic here, uh, and for those that cannot see the, the video, basically I, I drew a line, a, horizontal, a vertical line that, that is labeled truth, okay? And to the right of this line, I had the Republicans, to the left of this line, I had Democrats, and then I have this wiggly line that shows that there's a certain intrinsic bias in politics to where you're always going to have some variation. So. Uh, whatever the truth is, the Democrats are going to pull a little bit to one side, the Republicans are going to pull a little bit to the, to the other side, and there's going to be this sort of variation or variation in perspective between the two parties, because unfortunately, while, you know, we're in this world, we're human beings, uh, there's always going to be some bias, there's always going to be some difference in perspective, and that's just a normal aspect of politics, and we, we all sort of got used to it over the years. But then there's a certain threshold, there's a certain line that when people cross it, they're going beyond just the normal expected level of variation into downright deception. I mean, they, they've basically just decided to completely make up a whole new reality for people to believe in. Essentially, it becomes propaganda, it becomes brainwashing. And I, I feel that we're, we're in this condition today because the two realities that people in the United States are functioning in are so different that it's just not possible for both of them to be true. You cannot overlap them. They're just completely different realities. So either both of them are wrong or one of them is wrong, but they cannot both be right. And that's kind of the situation we're in. And that's kind of what I'm speaking to in this, in this uh, video and the previous one. Now, 
from somebody coming like me from a religious perspective, what is happening today is a lot like what we observe when people are in a cult. When people are in a cult, they essentially are, are seduced into a different way of lo looking at reality. But not only this, there are very mechanisms by which they would normally work themselves out of some kind of deception are tampered with to the point where they cannot logically realize the situation they're in. So basically, under normal circumstances, all of us are, are susceptible to deception, right? So, you know, we're out there minding our business and then we, we run into somebody and that person lies to us about something. And we have no reason not to believe them. So we, we buy into the lie, but then later down the line, something happens and we say, oh man, that person was lying to us. I can't believe they did that, right? So we have certain mechanisms in place that are self-correcting. So basically we're not, we're not normally, uh, we don't normally get stuck within, within a lie or a deception because we have certain processes in place that help us to work ourselves out of that deception. When people are, are in a cult, however, those very mechanisms by which you would normally work yourself out of a deception, they're, they're sabotaged to the point where when you try to present evidence to the person and to introduce them to the fact that, hey, something is wrong with the way they're thinking, they actually end up taking that evidence and flipping it around and reinforcing their point of view to the point where they're even more convinced of the truth of the situation they're in or their point of view than they were before, even though you're actually trying to convince them something is wrong. So these are some of the characteristics that we observe when we study people that are in a cult, regardless of what cult it is. I mean, it could be from different religions, from different points of view, whatever it is, there's certain characteristics that you, you see across the board. And what I'm saying is that we're, we're experiencing that in the world of politics today with the way things are going. And it has to do with the information. It has to do with the way people acquire information, whether they watch the news, whether they watch commentary on the news, talk shows, their friends talking amongst themselves, wherever they go, you know, they go to the bars, they go to the uh, coffee shops, wherever it is that they're talking to other people. The, the passing back and forth of information uh, is of such a nature that it's affecting people's ability to perceive reality. The problem is that, the, you know, when you're dealing with a religious cult versus a political cult, uh, in politics, you actually, it becomes quite a bit more dangerous now because the, these are the kind of things that start revolutions. So these are the kind of things that lead to genocide. Um, there's been really, really terrible things that have happened throughout history because of somebody indoctrinating a group of people and making them view reality in a whole different way than it's factual. And then those people end up doing some, some, some really terrible things as a result. So we, we cannot take this for granted. Uh, the condition of things today is, is dangerous. So again, I would say that it is impossible for two groups of people to exist in such completely different realities unless they were being brainwashed or unless they were susceptible to propaganda. And uh, the fact that this is taking place is not a, a healthy thing, is not a safe thing. Okay, so now uh, what I'm going to be saying over the next 
few items on, on this slide is that this I'm going to be sharing with you my personal opinion of what is happening because uh, I think it's it's to everyone's advantage to know where I'm coming from. But I don't expect you to believe me based on my opinion. What I'm going to share next, uh, I think, is independent of where I stand on the issue. So from my perspective, I'm someone who has been uh, <clears throat> very strictly apolitical over the years. I've resisted uh, the push to get involved in politics because I've always felt that if I'm going to uh, to preach the gospel, if I'm going to be a minister, if I'm going to be out there helping people, I cannot allow politics to get in the way of me doing that. And I've resisted getting involved. I've resisted taking sides. I've never supported one side over the other, one party over the other. I've never really gotten involved in any of the conflicts or debates for my entire life so far. And even now, I, I have no interest in any of the parties, even though the minute I, I start saying the things I'm about to say, people will immediately label me as belonging to so-and-so so group. I personally have no interest in that. The only reason I'm getting involved is because I feel that we're getting to a dangerous situation where people's politics are starting to interfere with their religion. And that becomes part of my territory, becomes part of my domain. And it's when I feel the need to jump in and say something. Okay, so um, again, what I've just said, I don't engage in politics unless politics interferes with, with people's religion. Um, besides this, I spent the past 25 years uh, studying this phenomenon of cults and people that are that have fallen into fanatical points of view into, uh, into perspectives that are unhealthy and unsound and yet they continue to persist in them. And the reason I've been interested in this phenomenon is because early on in my own Christian experience where I was basically brand new in the faith, um, for a brief period of time, I've gotten, I got myself caught up in a situation where um, I followed somebody who, who wasn't, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but essentially it was somebody like a cult leader. It wasn't a, a full, full on cult, but I got caught up in that for a few weeks. And when I worked myself out of it, it actually took me a long time. It took me a, about an entire year to work myself out of that situation. And for the, the, the next 20 some years, um, I've been highly motivated to study this phenomenon, to, to try to understand how people get seduced by these things and how, uh, what, it, what does it take to bring them out of it? And, and this phenomenon is universal. I mean, it's, it's all over the church, it's all over the world where people get caught up in, in this uh, fanatical movement. And sometimes it takes them years and decades to, to realize that they're, they were wrong all this time. And sometimes they never see it. They, they continue on, even when the, the movement takes them in places they really wouldn't want to go. Uh, you know, we're all familiar with <clears throat> um, groups like Jim Jones and, and the, the suicide cult where he convinced a bunch of people to, to drink poison and, and he killed a bunch of his followers, including himself. So there's, there's a danger to, to allowing oneself to get caught up in this kind of thing. And it's happened many times in many places and it's a phenomenon that can be studied and understood. So anyway, having this background, uh, from my point of view, looking at what's happening now, I, I see a lot more of the cult markers on the Republican side of the issue. And when I say this, I'm not referring to Republicans in general because there's still many Republicans that 
you know, they haven't really changed their outlook on things for decades. They're not caught up in the hype. They're not caught up in the story, in the in this alternate reality that I'm I'm talking about. They're still, you know, they still are they're still convinced about the Republican ideals without getting sucked into the to this phenomenon that I'm describing. Uh, but if I look at the story on the left and I look at the story on the right, the markers, this identifying characteristics of a cult that I've been mentioning seem to happen a lot more on the conservative side. And again, the minute I've said that, people are gonna say, well, that's because you're a liberal, that's because you're siding with the Democrats. I don't care about the Democrats, I don't care about the liberals. This is just my observation as an outsider. But again, this is my opinion and you don't have to agree with this. That's not what this presentation is about. I just wanted to make that clear so people are not, you know, unsure about where I stand on the issue. Okay, so what I wanna deal with is the idea of a religious trust factor. And for those that cannot see the screen, I have an image. And in this image, I have a box for the Democrats, a box for the Republicans. And then there's this sort of line on top that is labeled truth. But underneath the box for the Republicans, I have this other box called the religious trust factor. And what I mean by this is that People have this idea a lot of times, and I'm speaking about regarding conservative Christians, they have this idea that the Republican Party is pro-Christianity and that Democratic Party is anti-Christianity. And because of this, they have a tendency to trust the Republican side more than they trust the Democratic side. Um, and what, I, what I'm gonna try to argue in this video is that while it might be true for people coming from a Catholic or evangelical perspective that th there is a certain correlation between uh, their theology and the Republican side, I'm gonna argue that people who wanna follow a biblical Christianity base their theology on Sola Scriptura, they don't have a basis for that trust, trust factor. In fact, it's actually the opposite. Um, so anybody who is interested in looking at things from the biblical perspective should not have this sort of religious element that, that tells them that the Republican Party is more, more aligned with their perspective than the Democrat Party is. Okay, so what are the points of difference? And this is what I spent the previous video going into and I spent a lot of time on it. And again, even though I spent two hours on it because the topic themselves are so complicated I could have done a different video on each one of the different topics, but uh, I might do it later, but at this point, this is the best I can do. So the first point of difference, and I spent episode number five on this, it wasn't the previous episode, it was a way back. <clears throat> uh, in episode number five, I explained how people, Christians come at, at their theology from different perspectives that, have, that are based on different philosophical constructs. Uh, for Catholic and evangelical theology, Protestant theology in general, the perspective they're working with is a perspective they receive from tradition going back all the way to the early church fathers. And that perspective is built on uh, Greek philosophical concepts, concepts that were taken from Plato and from Aristotle, depending on whether you're more leaning more towards Catholicism or Protestantism. Catholicism lines up more with Aristotelian philosophy, Protestantism or Platonic, Neoplatonic philosophy. Uh, but a lot of things overlap there because Plato and Aristotle have a lot of things in common. 
And what these philosophical constructs affect are people's concept of God. People have different pictures of what God is like, uh, different pictures of what man is like in terms of, you know, uh, are we mostly material, physical? Or are we, is there a, a spiritual element to us? How those things interact with each other, all these things uh, are affected by the philosophy they bring to, to their theology. They, different groups have different ideas of ethics and morality. They have different understandings of what sin is and what salvation is. And I've discussed that in episode number five quite a bit. Not just this, but also in that same episode, I talk about the overarching story of theology. And when you go from group to group within Christianity, different groups have different pictures of what is happening. You know, what, what is God trying to do? Why are we here? Why is there suffering in the world? What is going on? What is God trying to accomplish? Different people have different perspectives, different overarching stories, and this affects their theology. And just to give a quick, quick example, uh, there's a large group of people that are usually labeled Calvinist or Reformed Protestants. And this group of people believe in predestination. Now, just think about that one single issue, predestination versus free will. If you believe in, your, in predestination and you be, or you believe in free will, you could just imagine what the overarching story would be depending on which of those two you select. So if you believe in free will, you have a certain perspective of what God is trying to accomplish and why we're here and what he's trying to do. If you believe in predestination, then you have to have a completely different story because God, in your in, in this view, God has, has had to ordain everything that happened. He had to ordain for Satan to sin. He had to ordain for Adam and Eve to sin. So in other words, all these things that we would consider wrong are in fact God's will because he's the one that determined for all of it to happen. So depending on, on what position you take on this one single issue, it changes your story completely. And different groups of people, uh, Christians have different stories, different grand uh, unifying stories that tie together all of their theology, depending on where they're coming from. I discuss some of that as well in episodes four and five. Okay, then in the previous episode, the one I'm mostly focusing on now, I discussed uh, things like interpretation of biblical passages. And one of the key passages is Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 addresses the issue of how we should relate to human government. But different church groups, different religious traditions, Christian traditions, interpret those passages differently. So I talk about that in the video. And if you want to get, get more detail uh, about what I had to say there, go to the minute, uh, to one hour and seven minutes into the video. And I, I discussed that in some detail. I also talked about the fact that there's different historical perspectives within Christianity. So for, for the Catholic perspective, one of the things that makes a big difference is the fact that they, they went to, through the time when the Roman Empire was converted to Christianity. So first, the empire was pagan, and they actually persecuted Christians. But then around 300 AD, Constantine comes on the scene, and he becomes a Christian. He gets baptized. He, he gets convinces a lot of his people to, to switch sides to, to the Christians. And eventually, the entire empire becomes Christian. Now, for the people that were living at that time, they had a shift in understanding of what God was trying to accomplish in human history. And they came to the conclusion that maybe 
God wanted this to happen along to where God would have the whole Roman Empire become converted, and then Christianity would be used, would be taken by, by the empire to the rest of the world to the point where the whole world would become converted. And then when Jesus comes, he would come to a world that is Christian and that is ready to receive him because now they're much better people, they follow Christian ideals and so on. So their whole interpretation of what is happening in history um, is affected by, by those uh, interpretations of those early events. Now that's a Catholic perspective. Protestants also have certain historical um, events that shape their perspective and it has to do with how, how the Reformation took place. They needed some way to uh, help the secular powers, and I, again I keep saying secular but nobody was secular at that time, the, the civil powers, the civic powers, <clears throat> the Protestants needed to form allegiances with these people so that they could uh, have a chance uh, when, you know, going against the Catholic Church at that point in time. And in order to do this, they had to change the explanation that the Catholic Church had about how the, the church was superior to the, to the uh, civic powers and, and uh, the church got, got their authority directly from God and then they gave the authority to earthly rulers to rule over their kingdoms. So in order for the reformation to work, they had to change their view of things and they came up with this idea of the two kingdoms. And I spent quite a bit of time talking about that uh, around minute 22 into the previous video. So if you want to understand what that's about, then uh, take a look at that, that section there. Okay, another thing, and this one I haven't really addressed in any of my presentations so far, and I, I plan to do it at some point in the future. There is a different way to interpret prophecy. Other Christian perspectives use the preterist method or the futurist method or, or the idealist method. I talk about that in my uh, manuscript, um, <clears throat> the Sola Scriptura Manifesto manuscript. There's a section there in, uh, in the part that talks about metaphysics. Um, I spend a little bit of time on it, not a lot, and I'm, I hope to, to have a chance to do more on this in the future, but there's the way the Sola Scriptura approach deals with prophecy is very different because we have to take this historicist approach uh, in order to, to be able to line up with our entire perspective of, of scripture. And when we take that approach, we have a very different interpretation of, of what is happening in history and what God is trying to accomplish. Uh, and finally, there's, there are theological differences. The, the, Catholic, the Catholic system is based on what is known as sacramental theology. And uh, I talk about this around minute 49 in the video. And I hope to do some future videos on it because it's, it's important for us to understand how other Christians think. Sacramental theology has its basis on, on a specific concept of God's nature and a specific concept of man's nature and the way the two interact. And this approach to theology affects the way Catholics understand reality and the way they, they uh, approach the issues of church and state and so on. Uh, Protestants, a lot of Protestants that started to move away from the sacramental perspective needed to replace it with, with something in order to explain the connection between the Old and the New Testament. And they came up with the covenantalist perspective. And I explained all that stuff in, in the previous video as well. So what I tried to do is I tried to list several, what is it, like seven or eight different, different points where I showed that biblical Christianity 
differs significantly from both Catholic and Protestant theology, or at least much of it, because Protestant theology has, has so many different perspectives that uh, I'm just speaking in broad terms. Uh, not everybody agrees with any of these things that I mentioned here. But within Protestant theology, there's certain factors, and as well as in Catholic theology, that predispose them to have a certain view of the relationship between God and the state. And when you come at things from a biblical perspective, those elements are not there anymore. And we don't have a basis for um, coming to the conclusions that a lot of these groups come to. So while other Christians believe that God is in control of the state and that Christianity should impose itself on the state, the biblical perspective actually outlines this or describes this as being anti-Christian because it does something that's against the character of God. Uh, the whole reason we're here in this world within this cosmic conflict that I've talked about uh, in some of our previous presentations is because God values freedom and wants people to make their choices in a, in a context of freedom as opposed to being forced to accept one, moral, one set of moral values over another. And whenever Christians take it upon themselves to force their ideology on the public, they're actually going against God, even though they themselves might think they're doing God's service. Okay, so uh, what I've tried to argue is that whatever that religious trust factor people have. So if you think that because the Republican Party is more Christianity friendly that you should trust them first, I have argued that in fact, it's, it's a reason why you should trust them less. I wanna, I wanna the, the point of what I've tried to do this past video is to, to convince people to flip the way they look at the religious elements within the Republican Party, because it actually it ends up being a reason why we should be skeptical. And I'm not saying we should not be skeptical of the Democrats or of, of the liberal side of things. There's reason to be skeptical there as well, because uh, essentially both parties, if taken to their extremes, can cause problems for, for God's, um, uh, God's intention for this world. So both, both parties can pull things in a bad direction. There's extremes, anti-Christian extreme on, on both sides, whether one side forces Christian, Christian morality on the public or the other side forces a non-Christian or a, 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 a set of moral values that are contrary to God, that's not good either. I mean, whichever side moves away from freedom uh, ends up creating problems. But what I've tried to do is to argue that we should not automatically trust the Republican Party just because they sound more Christian to us. There's no, no reason to have any type of religious trust factor. We should keep both parties, we should approach both parties with a, a sense of skepticism so that we, we evaluate everything that takes place and we evaluate it coming from both sources. Whenever there's a, a religious trust factor in politics, it ends up skewing people's judgment. Now I'm gonna use a, an example or, or an analogy and it's not the greatest analogy, but hopefully you'll bring the point across. The reason I say it's not the greatest because some people have been hurt by the situations and I don't wanna bring up uh, bad memories, but hopefully people will be able to relate to this story. Now, okay, imagine that you have to make a serious life decision and you go around and you talk to your friends, you talk to people that you trust and then you go and you talk to your minister at your church. Now, you believe your minister to be an extremely godly person, you know, somebody that prays a lot, somebody that has a, has a direct connection to God in some way. So you trust them more than you trust other people. 
So you talk to the minister and you explain to them your problem, your situation, and the minister gives you some advice. And after you, you consider that advice compared to everybody else, you think to yourself, well, maybe the minister is more in tune with what God wants me to do. So I'm going to go along with the minister's advice. Okay. This is a, a hypothetical situation that actually has happened to many people. But anyway, just, just picture yourself in the situation. You have a problem. You ask for advice. You ask a bunch of people and then you ask the minister and the minister gives you some advice that you end up trusting more just because by the very nature that, you know, they're supposed to have this connection with God and you end up taking his advice over the advice of some of the other people you talk to. Now, imagine that a few weeks later, you find out that this minister was having an affair for this entire time, for probably years prior to talking to you. All of a sudden, it ends up affecting your trust in this person, because you used to think that this was a godly person, this was somebody you could trust, they had a direct line to God, and then all of a sudden you find out, no, they've been deceiving people this whole time, they were, they were actually living, uh, living in sin, they were actually clearly not following God, so how would they be able to give you the right advice when they are not even following God themselves? Now, what happens when something like that takes place is that it removes the trust factor. So once you remove that trust factor, then you could say, wait, wait a minute. It doesn't matter who gave me the advice, whether it's my friends, my family, or the pastor. Let's not trust the individual. Let's look at the advice itself. Let's look at what they said, and let's make a decision based on the, the value of the information, the value of the advice. It could be that the pastor really did have good advice in spite of what he did. It could be that he didn't have good advice and that you should have gone with the advice of somebody else. But regardless, now that you've, you've found out all these different things about the pastor, the trust factor is eliminated and you're no longer going to take their advice just because you trust them more, just because you think they're more close to God. You're going to evaluate all advice through the same sort of skeptical framework where you listen to what people have to say and then you try to see which, which approach is better. And that's all that I'm proposing for people here. I'm trying to eliminate that religious trust factor because even though it might apply to people coming from a Catholic or a traditional Protestant perspective, it does not apply to people that want to approach politics from a biblical perspective. And once we eliminate that trust factor, then people are free to listen to both sides, to hear what everybody has to say, to look at the evidence from multiple angles and make their decision based on the value of the evidence, based on the value of what, what is the actual data involved, as opposed to going based on, uh, you know, making a decision because they, they, for whatever reason, trust one side of the argument more than the other because, hey, they say they're Christian, they're trying to, to, uh, to enforce Christian ideals and all this stuff. No, let's get rid of that trust factor and just base our, our perspective on the evidence itself. And hopefully, if, if somebody has spent a lot of time trusting one side because of that religious trust factor, maybe they could now get rid of that and start over and, and try to evaluate the situation from the beginning, listening to both sides of the argument. Now, in closing, I just want to give a special, uh, special uh, suggestion, advice, recommendation, maybe something stronger. I, I would encourage, strongly encourage the ministers, people that are that have are in that position of authority, in that position of trust, encourage them not to get involved in the politics, not to be pushing political 
paradigms of political narratives. Um, because they're essentially mixing their, their responsibility as ministers with all the things that are happening in politics. And these things are limited to the United States and they're limited to, to things happening today. If we were to look at history, you know, let's say the past 100 or 200 years, at every stage in history, something is going on and there's always ministers that get caught up in that something and they start making predictions and they start getting involved and pushing ideas. And then when you step back and you look at it from a, from a big picture perspective, having the 2020 hindsight, they say, of history, you realize that, you know, whatever happened at that point in history was just a passing thing. It happened and people moved on, but it ends up making the minister look back. It ends up making the Christian community look bad because they get so caught up in the events of that moment in time. So I strongly recommend for ministers to stay away from all these political debates that are going on, to, to not get, especially not get uh, seduced into any of the, any of these political narratives that are being pushed now uh, to the point where they, they mix this in with the message that they have, which should be a biblical message, should be based on, on uh, you know, the gospel as opposed to politics. So, I encourage people to, you know, ministers themselves to stay away from the stuff and for members to encourage their ministers to, to not get involved in these things to the point where they're pushing a political agenda. Um, again, as biblical Christians, whatever element of trust people have towards one party over another, that is not there anymore. There is no religious trust factor that should encourage us to side with the Republicans more than the Democrats. The Democrats are not more evil than the Republicans or vice versa. Both of these parties have vested interests. They're, they're, they're pulling in one direction or another for different reasons. They have different aims and goals. Some are good, some are bad. Since, since we're dealing with all, all of the issues of modern society based on just two parties, it's impossible for one party to be right in everything and the other party to be wrong in everything. Essentially, one side is better in some things, one side is better in, in another. And there's no reason to automatically trust one side versus the other. A person can belong to a party and, and still be open to what the other people have to say and, and hear their point of view and, and be able to coexist. And that's the problem we're having today because we've created this, this alternate realities that are so different that people cannot seem to coexist anymore. They cannot function within their, even within their own Christian community anymore because of differences of opinion, especially when you're part of a community that is divided down the middle. Uh, one side goes with one party, one side goes with the other. So how are you able to fellowship if, if, you, if you get so, so strongly caught up in this, in this uh, political agendas when your own brothers and sisters in the faith um, don't share that point of view. And there's no official position by the entire community to say one side is right and the other is wrong. And this divide is not like the, the theological divide because some people say, well, yeah, there's, you know, there's liberal Christian and conservative Christian. So we don't care what the liberals do or we don't care what the conservatives do. But the political divide doesn't overlap the theological divide. There's theologically conservative Christians that are politically liberal and theologically liberal Christians that are polit politically conservative. And as much as I would like to, to see the theological differences be, be dealt with, 
having this political differences on top of it is, is just creating a whole other level of chaos that we don't need as a Christian community. So anyway, this is sort of my introduction to, to the previous video. Hopefully it's a little bit shorter and hopefully it gives a better sense of what I was trying to do with that previous video. If you want more details on any section of it, then look at the time uh, stamp over there and then go back and, and give the, get the fuller explanation in the previous video.